If you could just um, turn, if you've got a Bible, uh, the Church Bible, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, uh, and we're continuing on uh, in the series, looking at uh, verse 12 to 18 specifically. So we are going to be there. If you've got a Church Bible, it is page 981. Um, but it's great to be able to uh, continue on this series uh, in the book of Philippians. Um, carrying on from what we heard last week, a really uh, inspiring and challenging reminder about the example and the person of Jesus, looking at who he was and what he came to do. And it's really this morning where our passage kind of continues on uh, with that. And I don't know if you uh, had any time this week to reflect on on Sunday's message, Um, but again, I found myself, and I was obviously, I had the advantage of being in this passage to prepare for this morning but looking at that verse particularly that we looked at in Philippians 1 verse 4 about let each of you look not only to his own interests uh, but to the interests of others and that example that Jesus gave where he well, we know he is God um, he was with God the Father in heaven yet he came down to earth to live the perfect life in humility and obedience and um, ultimately to, to die for us, um, for our salvation. And it really got me thinking, um, again, about my um, behaviour, the way that I think, the way that I look to respond to the truth. Um, I had that little reminder to look to, to Jesus. So, again, I think it's really helpful um, to be able to reflect, isn't it, on what we um, looked at in a previous Sunday. But today is very, very much about um, kind of, a few calls that Paul's make to the church, that Paul makes to the church uh, in Philippi. Um, I don't know if anybody saw the, um, po- is it a poster? Is it a, a card? I don't know. But Liberty Church is finally part of Acts 29. Anyone see that? Yeah. yeah there was a, sorry? Someone say something, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said something then. You whooped. Thank you. I like a whoop. Um, and it was a lovely, beautiful picture of Neil. Uh, and the family, of course. Um, but again, it got me thinking again, you know, we are now part, we're not just a church plant, are we? We're a church plant uh, that wants to seek to plant more churches. Um, and I think I just want to begin our little time this morning by looking very, very briefly at the church in Philippi. Because the church in Philippi, I think, other than Liberty Church, Lark Lane, of course, is possibly uh, one of my favourite uh, church plants in the Bible. When you see, uh, I don't know if you've read this, but if you haven't, I'd urge you to go back to Acts 16, and you hear the story uh, of how the church in Philippi was planted. It's an amazing story uh, of how the gospel was preached and broke into uh, the lives of of different people uh, to bring them ultimately to salvation. And I think it really, really speaks to the diversity uh, of the church. It speaks to the power um, that the gospel has to change lives. You may be familiar, but let me just recap for you. You've obviously got um, Lydia, who's a rich business lady who's got life set, um, wealthy, uh, financially secure, possibly one of the, um, had status within that community, and yet something was missing. She was a God-fearing woman, but she did not know uh, Jesus. And yet after after the gospel was preached, um, she came to know the Lord, and not only did she put her faith in Jesus, but immediately grabbed hold of that community feel and had um, Paul into her home and the guys that into her home, really building those gospel relationships. Then you had uh, the testimony of 
the slave girl who, in a different way, um, remarkable the way that, 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 you know, on their journey toward prayer, Paul was able to cast out this, de- this demon that recognised who Jesus was. Um, they were able to, to cast out this demon and this little girl was able to be formed part of this, this church and put her faith in, in Jesus. And it's because of this, because again, in this context, you know, people were living for things outside of the gospel, living for money, living for business and, and career and stature, that um, Paul and Silas were hauled before the magistrates, they were beaten and they were sent to prison. And you could look at that and think, oh, well, you know, two households saved, fantastic. Um, but no, it was in this moment here where actually this persecution uh, of Paul and the church in general, it could have led to a hopelessness. It could have led to a worldly sorrow and feeling sorry for himself. But no, it was in the context of, of prison where God moved again. And you may be familiar with the story, but there was an earthquake and it was the jailer himself, uh, a really strong character, very, very well thought of, um, was actually about to kill himself because after this earthquake, had, had, you know, we know it was an act of God, the, the chains had gone from the prisoners and, and he thought his life was no longer worth living. But Paul was able to say, no, 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 we are here. And in that moment, this jailer acknowledged who God was, asked, what must I do to be saved? And it was in that moment that he put his faith in Jesus and not only that but it's the households and again you see this beautiful picture of fellowship and community uh, the way that they open their homes and have people in a real picture we we meet don't we uh, during the week for what we call gospel community and you see that in action immediately here with food uh, and fellowship and it is in the context of this where Paul established his church in Philippi but you get a sense of the love and the affection that he had uh, for this church. And this is a theme that we see. And, and it really, it's really important to note that um, because as we see the tone of this letter, we see the way that Paul is speaking to family. He's speaking to people that he loves dearly uh, and that he has ministered to, uh, discipled, and wants good for them, wants to see them continue to grow in their faith. Uh, as, and that's important to keep hold of as we go through um, this passage here. But let's look at the immediate context. So we know, don't we, that Paul is in prison at this point. Um, he's in prison for preaching the gospel, for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He has a lot of liberty, a lot of freedom. Um, and I'm going to confess something now. Uh, I don't know why, but I've got quite a fascination with prison documentaries. Does anyone share that? No? don't know why, because the last place I want to be on earth is in prison. Uh, maybe that's why I like to watch it from a screen. I don't know. Um, but I've seen them all, the, the Death Road documentaries, the serial killer documentaries. And some of them, uh, they, they, they get the cameras into the prisons, don't they? And they kind of show them. You may not know this, so if you don't know this, then I'm, I'm sure you go and watch them on Netflix. Um, but what they do is they interview prisoners. They um, kind of get a glimpse of what life looks like for them. Um, and I can tell you this, that they're either very arrogant, um, very full of themselves, very narcissistic... Uh, in terms of what they have done and why they are there, or they're very solemn and they're very um, in despair and distress and they don't want any engagement. Um, What they're not is full of joy in their circumstances. And I think, again, looking at the the tone of this letter, not just this letter, but other letters that we see Paul write from prison, we're talking 
not not cushy cells with TVs and, and beds. We're talking sitting on the floor in chains. Paul is able to write to them um, with absolute joy, absolute hope in the gospel. Um, and you see that again through this, the tone and the language that is used is just full of affection for the church at Philippi, um, full of love for them. And again, we see that, don't we, in the, the themes that have already arisen, just very, very briefly, just to, to, to recap us, is that we see from right from chapter one, we see that he prays for them, he's thankful for them, he's full of hope for them, for that they continue in their witness of the gospel. We then move on and we see how he is, he is persevering through his suffering and circumstances. And he wants them to do the same. Um, and in those moments of, of suffering, in his, in his context, he's still reminding them that the gospel is moving forward. The gospel, as we know, is not something which can be removed or deterred because of prison. It's something which is still advancing because it's not one man's, one man's mission, isn't it? It's for the church, and that's what he's reminding them of. And then we get this real challenge, don't we, uh, at the back end of uh, chapter one, where... And, and it's something which, is, which we're going to kind of cobble up against again in our passage this morning. But he's calling them to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. A real, real challenge. And again, we had that um, famous verse in Philippians 1, 21, which is obviously we were really, really, really challenged by. But Paul, in those circumstances of prison, of, um, again, a lot of freedom, he was able to say, for me to live is Christ. But actually, if, if I'm to, to die and leave this world, that is even better. That real hope that he had and that relationship that he had. Um, and this is, the, this is the, the call that he's making to the Philippian church. Um, and just last, last week, um, again, reminded of the example of Jesus. Because if you're going to call a church to live a certain way, to respond a certain way, how, you know, where else could you go than to remind them of the example of Jesus? Uh, and he does this in a, in, a, in a beautiful way. And again, looking at the example of Jesus, that he, was, he is God, but he left the throne room of heaven to come in obedience, to live and to die for his people. Um, he could have commanded and demanded uh, kingship and authority, yet um, he served. He came to serve his people. And again, Paul is calling them to that. And that's really where we set up this morning um, is to just go through. And what I want to do is, as we read through Philippians 2, uh, verse 12 to 18, to really think about the context of which Paul is, is, is writing to here. And he's, yes, he's calling the church to, to do things, but it's in that response to uh, what Jesus has done for them. So let me just pray very, very quickly, uh, and then we're going to get stuck into our passage this morning. So, Father, we just thank you that we can celebrate, even looking back all those years, that you um, are faithful to your people, that we see the power that is in the gospel here, um, that changes lives, that forms communities, that establishes churches as one which we uh, have indwelling us by your spirit, Father. So we, we expect you to move. We've seen it and we see it and we expect it to, to happen again. So, Father, I pray this morning you give us hearts that are um, desiring change, Father, that you would see that as you call us to consider our lives now and how we are to live uh, for you in response to what Jesus has done, it's because it's not something which we, we, we have to do, but it's something we get to do. 
Um, that we get to respond because of all that you have done. So, Father, I ask that by your spirit you'd remind each of us that you love us, that we are safe here, um, and that ultimately it is good to respond in a way and to live our lives to reflect and to respond to all that you've done for us in the gospel. Um, so, Father, I pray that you'll be glorified in our, in our time now um, and that we as your church would be, would be blessed uh, be, and be a blessing to others. Uh, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so, as I said, our passage this morning is very much a response to what Paul has said. So, I just want to read through. I'm going to be as quick as I can. Um, but I want to read from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Again, is what Mark preached on last week because it sets the tone for what Paul uh, is about to, to say to the church here in Philippi. So, if you've got your church Bible, again, I'll be on page 980, uh, but let's read through Philippians chapter 2. Give me a second to find it. Okay, so it says this. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, your, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering uh, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, amazing, um, again, reminder of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, uh, and Paul's reminding the church at Philippi in the first part of, of what we looked at last week. Um, but again, the reason I've read that is because, and, and again, people more, will be aware of this, that word therefore shows that it's really important um, what has come prior to, to that passage there. And what Paul is going to call them into and call them to do and call them to live in a certain way or continue to live 
in a certain way. Um, he's doing in response to who Jesus is. Um, which is really, really key. And we see that, don't we, again, the example of humility, of integrity, uh, of obedience uh, that Jesus was when he came to earth. And, and again, we're, we're familiar with the, the gospel story. Um, but it is in this vein in which Paul is calling the church now to respond. Um, and again, you know, just, just like all of Paul, all, all of the Bible, it is something which someone could have written to us at Liberty. It's very, very uh, prevalent and relevant for us. So I want to just go through a few things um, for us to consider um, how Paul calls these, these, the church to live. So the first thing he does in verse 12, so if, if you turn to verse 12 with me, um, he calls them to live with integrity and humility. And we see this, therefore, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we see that immediately uh, with that term beloved, that we, and we've been through this, that we know Paul had the utmost affection for this church. He spent time with them. Um, and what he's doing here, which is unusual, probably one of the only letters that he does this, is immediately he's, he's commending them for their, their witness, uh, for, for the way that they're seeking to live for the gospel. And you can see that in, in, in his tone, in his language. There's that wonderful testimony of, of that relationship that Paul has with the church um, and again he's, he's affirming their witness and that unity that they have uh, in the gospel and interestingly Paul's just calling them to continue in that but even more isn't he is he wants to see a bit more um, because he when he was with them he was able to live with them and see see how they lived how they responded now he's not with them but he's calling them to continue on in that um, I don't know if you can relate to this but I know that growing up, it was much easier to be obedient and do the right thing when someone was standing here. Um, in the case of school, when a teacher's in the classroom, um, you know that there's rules, there's things you must do, there's things that you get in trouble for if you don't do them. Um, and it's certainly easier to follow those rules when that authoritative figure is with you. Uh, and people will know that as soon as that teacher leaves that room, what do you do? Mr. Farkerson could probably give many uh, examples when he leaves the room uh, of what happens. But again, you start to think differently. Maybe you, you, set, you take your foot off the gas a little bit. You may be chat, you may be throw, I don't know if you do want to throw things, would you? Um, but you start to behave in a certain way because that person isn't there. It's the same at home. I can remember countless times uh, sitting in a, in a lounge watching TV with my brother mum and dad would have been there. As soon as they leave the room, or everything was perfect, as soon as they leave the room, arguments start, remote battles start, change the channel starts, because as soon as those people that, that we're kind of seeking to please maybe a little bit, or we know that they're calling us to be a certain way, as soon as they're gone, we, we take things into our own hands now. And, and it even happens now, again, it's confession time, isn't it? But with, with my wife at home, um, I'll be at home maybe on a Saturday and she's gone out for a walk with her mum or dad walking the dog. And she'll give me a list of things to do, which is fine. I don't mind doing those. Um, and I wait on that text. I'll be home in five minutes. And I'm jumping up, rushing around, doing the dishes. Not all the time, but doing the dishes, making the bed, making sure the house is spotless. But it's true, isn't it? Whereas if Georgina is there and asks me to do a few things straight away, um, I would, I'll be doing that because I want to please her. But this is the point, isn't it? Paul's making to them that um, even in his absence, he doesn't want them to fall away or to... 
uh, not be as, as um, striving towards obedience. He wants them because they're not there to please him. They're there to please God and the witness is, is to God. Um, and again, it's that affection he has for them. It's not a case of law or legalism. It's a case of knowing what is best for them and knowing what, what is best for them to live and wanting them to do that, to be a faithful witness and to be obedient. Um, and again, as you see there in the second part of, of that verse, you see um, the, the phrase there, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and again, this isn't a term of, you know, we need to work for our salvation because we know salvation belongs to God. But what it is doing is it's, it's, it's giving us that responsibility. It's giving the church here that they have a, a part to play. Salvation is secure in Jesus. And yet we're called every day to, to pursue obedience, to pursue holiness, to choose uh, the truth and to live in response to the truth uh, of what God has done. And that is what that relationship um, with God is about. Salvation is secure through him. And we see that through um, multiple scriptures, don't we? Ephesians 2, we're saved through faith, not by works, but we're created for good works. Again, in James 2, James is very clear that faith without works is dead and that call to live and respond uh, and to evidence uh, our, our faith in, in Christ is an active thing so that's what Paul's calling them, and that's what Paul calls us to do as well to live with humility but an integrity uh, in, in light of the gospel and obedience um, and this is the best part and Neil this morning kind of uh, as we were praying um, alluded to this and it was really really helpful is you know how do we do that why do we do that we see in verse 13 for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's the liberating thing. We know it's not our strength. It's not our actions. It is God, by his spirit, enabling us to be humble and to seek him uh, and the, the interest of other people. We see right in, in Philippians 1 verse 6 where it says, uh, when Paul's reminding them that I'm sure he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that reminder that it is, it is God through Christ who enables us to, um, to respond in this way. But then it's re really striking in the second part of this verse, um, which talks about to, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is really challenging because, um, and again, to be reminded that when we are obedient in response I want to say obedience, you, can, you feel that like a, a dog's obedient, isn't he, when you're trying to do something. But we're talking about, you know, pursuing the gospel, living in light of the truth of who Jesus is. God is pleased and receives great pleasure um, and delight when we do that. Um, and I know and, and we know that when we, when we live in disregard for the gospel, when we um, don't read the Bible, when we don't really focus and... and actively pursue Jesus through the gospel um, they're the moments and I can testify to this they're the moments when we become irritable when we argue with people when we think badly of people when we don't um, perhaps obey the call that we know God's call, uh, called us into um, but again that, that to focus on God's pleasure and God's delight in our obedience is really challenging and I wonder this morning um, do we do that? However, do we make decisions? Do we act? Do we respond? Do we think? Do we pray? Do we um, behave in a way which consciously seeks God's 
pleasure. Um, something really for us to, to think about and to be challenged because that is how we're going to grow. That is how we're going to mature. That is how we're going to be effective witnesses to the truth of the gospel. And not just now, um, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday at GC, or when we're doing the farmer's market, whenever it may be, but we're talking about in our, in our homes, uh, in our relationships with colleagues at work, with our, in our, with our children and our families, to pursue and to seek God's pleasure and God's will um, is something which is, is going to help us mature and grow into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, so moving through to verse uh, uh, 14, um, the second call that Paul makes is a call to live in unity and with joy. Um, it says, there's a very, very short part here. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, this is, I think it's quite a big one. Uh, this at the moment is, is heightened, obviously, because we're living in a, uh, un, what do they call it? I'm trying to say this word, unprecedented time uh, with COVID. Uh, no one knows what's going what's to happen next week, let alone kind of in the future. Um, but I think with that sometimes, and, and again, we've fallen victim to it, I'm sure, you can, you can easily get drawn into that victim mentality, that um, glass half empty or the pessimistic view because this national pandemic, which has taken the lives of so many people, is affecting what I want. And effectively, what does that lead to? It leads to grumbling. It leads to... Mo- or, or in, grumbling is probably... Uh, a posture word for it, moaning, complaining, um, just really kind of murmuring and muttering um, with our situation. And I think what we start to do is we start to self-justify because everyone feels this way. Everyone complains, everyone is unhappy, everybody um, feels the effects of what is going on in our lives. And, you know, COVID aside, just our circumstances in general. And it's those little things we start to do. We start to moan to people at home. We start to moan to people at work. We start to perhaps moan to extended family. We have a little moan to our neighbours. Um, and the danger, and the danger which Paul is saying here, but the danger is that starts to creep into the church. Um, we start to grumble about things to uh, other Christians in the church. We start to push our views on how we're feeling onto others. Um, and I think it's really, really important. We need to guard against that because then the danger with that is you can start to view other people negatively, view brothers and sisters critically um, in, a, in a critical way. You can start, because you're in a, that irritable posture of heart, people can start to do things or say things or the way they worship or what they've said. And it can be really, really divisive. And it, you know, that seems really extreme, but that starts with our, our heart response to our circumstances because... In the home, when we, when we view how we're, we're living, what we're experiencing in a way which is humble and obedient and one which is really attentive to the person and work of Jesus, then those things can be dealt with, can be prayed with, can, be, um, can go to scripture, we can be reminded of the truth in those moments and not bring them ultimately into the, the, the house of God, which there can cause division amongst people. I think that's what Paul is saying here. There's no evidence necessarily to, to suggest that there is division or there is grumbling but it's just reminding them that our posture of heart should be thankfulness and praise and worship uh, and again going back to last week to look out for the, the interests of others to look to the example of Jesus and not to just focus on self um, which is hard 
I know it's hard um, as sinful, fallen humans, but that discipline of uh, looking to Jesus uh, and what he has done, because the danger, again, which Paul is alluding to here is, and, and for us in this community, is the witness of the church. What we don't want to do is, is invite people in uh, to be lights in this area and for them to look and to be uh, seeing grumbling and disputes and division and arguments and disagreements. They want to see, you, we want to show them unity and peace. And ultimately, we want to show them the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, which is everything um, that is not grumbling um, and disputes. But again, we see this, and it's a real challenge for us um, to see that, because I obviously, I'm going to see this a bit more detail about circumstance, but it's about, in those moments of feeling down, I, I know, you get up and, you know, we've had a lovely week off work, well, I say we, I, I've had a lovely week off work, some of you have, have ploughed on, um, but you're going back to work tomorrow, it's easy to, to think straight away tomorrow morning, oh, got to go to work, got to see those kids, got to do loads of work, admin teach lessons, got to see that colleague that don't really see eye to eye with it, rather, and you start in that, you immediately start with that posture of grumbling, and it, it starts to eat away and eat away, where actually that mindset of starting with the reminder of the person and work of Jesus just puts us on that trajectory of humility, of looking at him, um, and, and, you know, it's not rocket science in the sense that the way, and we heard this last bit, the way we think impacts the way we feel, and that impacts the way we act or behave. And to think about Christ and what he has done at the beginning of that day may help us think differently about those people that we don't really get on well with or think differently about that, that circumstance um, that normally would irritate us and put us in a bad mood. We see it for what it is and are able to be that effective gospel witness that uh, God has called us to be. Um, tough I know because we're living in these times but just something for us to really focus on because ultimately the purpose of, of us as beings isn't it is to is to glorify God and we do that best when we seek to reflect the gospel in the way that we live um, and finally just move, moving on toward the end here we've got um, the call in verse 15 to be holy and blameless um, and we see that don't we that he says in here so do not grumble in all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul's reminding the church here that how they live, how they view others, matters. It matters um, because we're called, aren't we, as the church, and it says there, to shine as lights in the world. People will be familiar with um, the verses in Matthew regarding saltiness and how we're called to be a light. Um, and it says there in Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the calling that we have. So to, to pursue obedience, to pursue humility, to not grumble, um, and to, to not dispute with others, it matters. There's, a, there's an outworking of that, uh, and that is your, your maturity and your growing into the likeness of Jesus. Um, 
And Paul again is reminding the church here that that is, that is the end goal. To become more like Jesus is what um, Jesus wants for us, to be more like him. It's what God wants for us, to be more like his son. And that's what we need to be looking to do uh, as individuals, as God's called us into different contexts, as a church. Um, and that's a, a challenge for us, isn't it? If people were to, to look at the witness of Liberty Church here on this, on this road, in this community, um, would they, would they recognise that as a, a bright light, a bright light for the gospel? Or would they see that as maybe something that is, is perhaps dimming or something which isn't quite as bright um, or stand out as much as, as it should do? And that's what we want to do, isn't it, as a church, is to be present and to call people and to live in ways that draws people into the truth um, of the gospel. And we can't do that without God without pursuing Jesus uh, or engaging with the Holy Spirit. And I think that starts uh, in those small moments and obviously um, will really, really help us become an effective witness uh, in this area here. So it matters. It matters what we do. It matters, you know, it's not, you know, you have this, this process of all, this happens all the time, oh, I'm terrible like that. You know, these are things which we should not allow ourselves to think. We should not allow ourselves to self-justify. Um, we, should, we should be seeking to pursue um, Christ in all things. And you know, we talk about, I said a moment ago, that God delights um, in our obedience. And, and to think there that we may be blameless and innocent um, before a crooked and twisted generation. When people view us, they should see difference. They should see the gospel. They should see, not perfection, because of course we're, fallen people but they should see something which is different to them they should not be um shocked or surprised when they hear that we are um believers but they should be able to to see see a difference within us and that's the call that paul's making again to the church here um in verse 16 we see here that paul is calling us to hold fast to jesus um and this should be the easy one for us, you know, as a believer, we look to Jesus, don't we, for everything. Um, and, and this verse here, which is beautiful, describes it as um, the, the word of life. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a near-death experience. I have, I think. Georgia and I have. Let, let, me, uh, let me, it doesn't really, but let me just tell you a little story quickly. Um, Georgina and I um, thought that we had won an amazing holiday of a lifetime uh, to a place called Butte in Cornwall um, uh, and I was reminded by this weren't we on uh, the Facebook time hop recently I was at the weekend and it was that uh, and Georgina posted all these beautiful photos of the cottage and the, the little cream tea hamper and the surrounding area uh, and you put hadn't you um, amazing to get away for a few days in a beautiful cottage in, in Cornwall anyway that soon changed didn't it <laughs> one evening so we got there uh, we're enjoying ourselves uh, kind of going out and I got a haircut at the time it was, it was the most memorable part of that trip was a haircut by the way um, but one, e- one evening we were sat watching uh, a bit of television and we're talking a cottage here in the middle of nowhere weren't we so it's like, like in a little valley um, and one day we're sitting there watching television and suddenly there was a power cut and it was 10pm at night um, and, the, and all the power went um, even to the point where we're watching something and then obviously it went, it went pitch black 
Uh, now this cottage was aimed at six people. It was for six people. Big, big place, loads, loads of rooms, and we were like huddled in this, in this lounge area. But genuinely, and I'm not, not ashamed to confess this, um, I, was, I, was, I was scared. I don't know if you were, <laughs> quite a brave face, but I was genuinely fearful because what we thought, you, probably all of these serial killer documentaries that I watch, um, you know, you're, you're worried that someone's in the house, like, my word, where's that, you know, have they, have they targeted this young, uh, not, yeah, youngish, um, vulnerable, naive couple to burgle and to, to do whatever. Um, genuinely, we were, and it was, you know, it went on for a while, didn't it? You were ringing your dad uh, for help, uh, as, is, as is custom. Um, and, which I'm very thankful for, by the way. Um, uh, again, we had like, what, 3% on the phones, no signal, it was really getting quiet. I'm like, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Um, we ended up, ended up in, the, in the end. I, I, I think I was literally walking, you were like, go and check the rooms. I was like, you know, your back's to the wall like this. And it was really, 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 really scary. And, and I'm, I'm being deadly serious now. There was moments when you genuinely thought, this could be someone in the house here, this could be a really, really dangerous situation. Uh, in the end, we had to what, drive 20 minutes to find a signal to call that. It was fine. What was it? Some kind of roadworks that, that knocked the, the power at the top of the road. But it was genuinely a very, very scary thing because in those moments, we were faced with, the, in my mind, the, the reality uh, of potential death. Um, and I think this is the thing, isn't it? Like, you know, we know that death is horrific. We know it's the opposite of what God wants. And we know that because so much so, he sent his son Jesus um, to, to be, to, to bring life to us. And in this, this sense here, holding fast to the word of life, it's something which I think is really, really important. And there's those days, I think for us, the question for us to really consider, isn't it, is what um, are we holding fast to Jesus? What does it look like? What does it mean to hold fast to Jesus. Well, I think it means a few things to think about what he has done, to remind ourselves about what he has done, uh, to read the, his word, to pursue him, to um, pursue fellowship with his people, pursue accountability with his people. So if you're talking about holding fast, it means to have that closeness and that relationship with him. Um, you know, he is our daily bread. He is living Water are these things that we can see reflecting in the way that we live, um, because that's what the gospel is, isn't it? It's about showing people that Jesus has created the way for them to come from death into eternal life, and that's not just something for later or something which we are saved by and then forget and move on until the end of our lives. It's something which we need to remind ourselves of every day and to hold fast and cling to who Jesus is. Uh, and what he has done. And again, it's what Paul is reminding the church here, that the best place, the best thing they can do is to hold fast and cling to um, Jesus himself. Um, I know I said I was closing a moment ago. I actually am closing now. Um, but the last thing to look at here before we close uh, is in verse 17 and verse 18. Um, and this is where... It's almost doesn't make sense, or it won't make sense for the unbeliever, okay? And what it says is this. Paul, Paul calls the church to rejoice in their circumstances. Um, and he says this in verse 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
and then the challenge at the end there, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. There's real Old Testament language there with the, you know, almost an like altar language with this um, drink offering, sacrificial offering. But here, what Paul is calling them to, isn't, isn't he, again, uh, in closing this little passage here, is to, is to view all things through the lens of joy, to focus on what Jesus has done for them. Um, and, 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 you know, you look at that and think there's no greater um, experience of persecution at that time than a complete loss of liberty. For, for, for what? You know, these documentaries that I watch, you hear of the harrowing stories of what they've done. Make, make no mistake about it, they deserve... Through, through corporal punishment. They deserve what they uh, are currently experiencing. Um, but Paul was um, imprisoned for proclaiming the good news of Jesus to people that didn't want to hear it. Um, and yet his outlook is, is to rejoice, it is to be joyful. And, and we know from Philippians 1 that, that the outcome of death was very real for Paul. Um, and, and his view is that this is a real possibility. Um, and yet he's calling, he's telling them that he is rejoicing with them in his circumstances, even with that impending death sentence upon him. He's able to rejoice with them, not because of he's, he's, he's enjoying his, his situation, because his focus is on the person and work of Jesus. And, and the final challenge, to, and I've been really challenged by this, and the final thing for us to think about is, you know, do we do that? When, you know, through this COVID pandemic, have we rejoiced? Um, through circumstances that we have experienced personally, uh, whether it's, you know, with family, with jobs, with money, any relationships, have we genuinely been able to rejoice in them because our focus is on who Jesus is and what he has done and to continue to, to point people and to lead people to him. It's a real challenge for us and it's something which is, is helpful for us to go away uh, and think about in, in greater detail. But this is the tone of what um, Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi. And I think to summarise this, I want, I want us to, to leave with this before we, we finish, um, is this, the call to live out our faith with humility and obedience in joyful response to the gospel with the chief aim to glorify God and to lead other people uh, to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what we've been, that's what, what we've been called to do. That's who we are as uh, the church. Um, tough, but we labour on together. Um, we, are, we are a body. We are not isolated in this. Um, so let's do that as a church. Let's lead each other to that and support each other in doing that. But ultimately, um, how we live matters. Um, what we do on a Monday morning at work matters. The way we respond to circumstances matters um, as believers, uh, ultimately to lead people to the truth of who Jesus is. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you that you don't leave us alone. You don't, um, you don't leave us to struggle on our own, but by your spirit, you lead us, that you work in and through us, um, that in those moments of weakness you make us strong by the truth of who you are. Um, but Father, I do ask by your Holy Spirit that you'd help us to use these, this next week to be intentional 
uh, about the way that we live. Again, not for our salvation. That is secure based on what you did for us at the cross and sending Jesus to die for us. But what we do ask, Father, that you would just give us that prompt, that provocation, that compelling to, to go into our circumstances tomorrow, even this afternoon, with, with renewed vigour to be obedient, to be faithful to the truth of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Um, knowing that you delight in that, that when you look upon us uh, in those moments, um, Father, that you are pleased. And we, don't, you know, we, do, we do that out of worship and response to what you have done for us. So, Father, I want to pray over this church specifically that each of us would, would have the courage to live like that. Um, and again, Father, not for our gain, but for your glory, ultimately, um, and for the salvation of people that you've placed in our lives. So, Father, just give us that heart, I pray. Help us do that because it is hard. But help us to continue to, to strive towards truth, to, to, to make decisions which lead us closer and help us cling and hold fast to uh, Jesus and what he has done. Um, and Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.